Hit do it. But I feel like it's more of a gray blue. Yeah, it is like a gray blue. I love it though. It, wow, it is weighted. It's heavy, dude. Wow, I feel like all my stress is gonna go away. It's like a small blanket, but it's perfect for you because you're a small person. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Fast Past, the history podcast in close to 30 minutes or less. As always, I'm Megan. I am Jason. And today we're talking about one of my favorite topics ever, 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 ever the Mashika. The who? No, not the British band. Boo. No, it's funny. Boo. <laughs> no. I spent a lot of time thinking about that, okay? Boo. <laughs> All right, so I'm not Sorry, not Halloween. Funny. <laughs> but the Mexica are also known as the Aztecs to most people. Mm. They're one of my favorite historical topics and one of my favorite early civilizations ever. I've taken every possible class on them in my undergrad, and honestly, I still can't get enough. Now, I know a lot about these people, and if I riffed and got into everything, this episode would actually be years long, and I know I say that a lot, but I actually mean it with this one. So I'm going to try and give an overview on the, th- the things, and then probably have multiple episodes that encompasses the Mexica. Look, I'm going to have multiple episodes trying to pronounce some of these names. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're, they're a doozy. Yeah. Um, but this, this civilization is just so freaking cool. So today... We're going to be talking about their origin story, their religious origins, and a little bit about the social hierarchy and growing up Mexica. Okay, so what's the difference? Because we keep calling them the Aztecs, like as a people, but you keep calling them the Mexica. What, why are you calling them the Mexica? Okay, it's, um, it's not necessarily a historical inaccuracy, but it kind of is to call them the Aztec. Mm. See, when Cortez came to conquer the Mexica, he asked them who they were and they replied, the Mexica which is where Mexico came from. And for everyone who obviously can't see the spelling, Mexica is spelled M-E-X-I-C-A. So Cortez literally just changed the A at the end to an O, yet we still call them the Aztec. So Cortez did one good thing. I mean, he kept the name of the group and he inadvertently named an entire freaking country after them. Yeah. So now the name Aztec itself, that goes back to their origin story. Mm. The Mexica did not start out in Mexico at all. In fact, scholars think they began in the American Southwest, probably somewhere around Utah. Utah. Yeah, I know. Like, okay. <laughs> random place. Um, they began in what this book that I'm using the source from calls a, quote, mystical place up north called Aztlan. Aztlan. Aztec. I was thinking the lion from Narnia. Aslan? Aslan. Okay. It's A-Z-T-L-A-N. Ah, got it. Aztlan. Aztlan, Aztec. I'm yeah. getting it. So, getting it. Again, this was not the label they used for themselves, though. Now, scholars scholars continually argue about the existence of this place, Aztlan, mm-hmm. whether it existed or not, and where. But according to the Nahuatl legend, there were seven tribes that once lived at Chichomozco. Chich? Chico. Chichomozco. Chichomozco. Mozco. Sure. Episodes. <laughs> Episodes. Here's one. <laughs> um, <laughs> this is also translated to the place of seven caves. Now, these seven communities interacted with each other and were connected by not only a common language, which is Nahuatl, uh, but also a common religion. And these seven communities are the Aztec. That is really cool because there's seven different tribes, seven different peoples mm-hmm. with like each their own way of living, mm-hmm. but they all have the common language of Nahuatl. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't understand how to read it sometimes because I am like, I'm not good with reading English sometimes. <laughs> but like the fact that they have seven peoples 
one language and one religion is really cool. Yeah. So it makes sense that they were able to live together if they were so united on these fronts. Exactly. So they're living here peacefully in Aslan for a time, but of course that doesn't last forever. One of these seven groups, they became tyrannical, which was not sitting well with the Mexica. Mm. So what did they do? Civil war, because that always has to happen. <laughs> that does always have to happen, but not in this circumstance. Try again. Uh, did they pull a Martin Gare? Ding, ding, ding. Hell yeah, they did. Yeah, false identity. <laughs> yeah, false. No, no, not that part. <laughs> oh, th so they just disappeared for yeah. years? They just up and left. So oh, dang. In 1064 um, CE, it is said that the Mexica migrated south to what is now Mexico. Now, that would be all fine and dandy if that's what they did, but the problem with ancient civilizations, especially one that did not have any written language, Nahuatl was a spoken oral language, um, is that there can be some inaccuracies in their story. Some things could have been skewed while oral tradition was passed down. Hmm. For example, all these seven communities eventually left, but they didn't leave at the same time. The Mexica were the first to leave. Hmm. The Mexica also may have gone back to Aslan for a time or even migrated farther south, then gone back further north, and etc. There's also the fact that they probably stopped places along the way, so they didn't just keep walking until they came upon Tenochtitlan. There was generations of mm. finding themselves. Got it. So they fled from tyranny, mm -hmm. but it took generations to make it to what we consider their home. Yeah, exactly. Now, on their way to current-day Mexico City, but Tenochtitlan, they met up with some earlier civilizations, most notably the Toltec. Now, there is a link here between the two communities, because the Mexica were considered the, quote, people of the dogs. I translated that from Nahuatl. Seems a little derogatory, honestly. No, it was it was awful. They were not seen as good people, mm. and they were just really trying to get in the good light of the communities in Central America. Yeah. So... Yeah, there are also no waddle words here, but I can't remember pronouncing them. Uh, because when the Europeans came down, they tried to put the Latin alphabet to the sounds and words the Mexica made. So obviously, they don't match up because the Latin like um, phonetics don't match up to what Nahuatl was. Yeah, so we're going so to try why... our best and <laughs> yeah. try not to have too many episodes during the episode. <laughs> so if I like say like the people of the dog, that is translated from Nahuatl. Mm-hmm. So, sorry, but Jason and I, we're going we're gonna to do our best. Yeah. So, the Mexica ally themselves with the Toltec through a marriage alliance, thereby becoming descendants and ancestors of his ancient civilization, which made them not people of the dogs anymore. Nice. They even took pieces of their own religion and made it Mexica, like Quetzalcoatl. So, you're talking about Hernan Cortez, right? Because the Aztec, Mexica, sorry, thought he was Quetzalcoatl, right? Correct. Sort of. That's for another episode. See, the Toltec had a king called Quetzalcoatl. He mm -hmm. was a good king, but he was betrayed. The people close to him got him really, really drunk, fucked up to the point that he actually slept with his own sister. Damn. So he was disgraced and forced to leave. Damn. And when he left, he said he would return one day, but he never came back during the time of the Toltecs. Damn. Now, this story was said to have happened, like, years before the Mexica came, mm -hmm. um, but... Nevertheless, Quetzalcoatl never showed up, so the Mexica took him and made him into a god. But isn't there also a temple named after him in uh, Teotihuacan? Like, not one of the big main temples, but smaller ones? Yes, but no one really knows why. See, the problem, again, with like early civilizations, it's, it's, it's all hearsay at this point. Mm -hmm. 
But by the time the Mexica were making their way down to present-day Mexico City, that civilization at Teotihuacan had already been abandoned. But there was the temple to Quetzalcoatl in this merchant market, making him a secondary god, not a main god of whatever that civilization was. Ah. Nobody really knows why, and there are new architectural finds daily, but the Mexica basically got their inspirations from the temples from Teotihuacan and took inspiration from the gods from either Teotihuacan or from the Toltecs. Got it. So they're just taking bits and pieces from everything they see and making it their own. Yeah. Kind of like, is... uh, kind of like uh, the, the the Greek, the, yeah. the the Romans. Yes, who took Greek stuff. Who took Greek stuff? Who took whoever the hell they invaded and mm-hmm. doing stuff like that? Yeah. So they're just taking inspiration from everyone around them. And that is literally how the Mexica operated. Mm. They were resourceful and were actually really understanding about religious figures and other religions. Mm. Again, I'll get into that in another episode. But that is a segue into our next topic of religion. Now, I wanted to touch on the origins of their religion so we could better know them. Uh, but just know that after the Mexica left the Toltecs, they made their way to Tenochtitlan. And after years, <laughs> years of war, an alliance was made and the Mexica became the dominant power in that region. But for now, let's talk about uh, human sacrifice. Yes, uh, let's do that. And I really wanted to just like shout Kalima, but I know that's like really really wrong because it's that really is wrong. a uh, hindu god yeah and has nothing to do with these people or their region you could shout wheatsley pokley because that was their main deity what is it again wheatsley pokley wheatsley pokley <laughs> now before we get into this religion section i'm gonna point out here that we in america have a very eurocentric view of human sacrifice and the concept being barbaric and what civilized is So since the United States was built off of the European ideals, we often project our own views onto ancient civilizations and their ancient rituals because they do not align with ours. So to us, human sacrifice is seen as barbaric and uncivilized, but that's not how it was viewed at all back then. No, you're you're making sense, because why are we judging them when the Europeans tortured people, draw and quarter people, tar and feather people, the frickin' guillotine? And they had no religious ideology backing up those horrible (laughs) methods of death. Yes. The Mexica did have religious origins in human sacrifice. That's what we're going to talk about. And human sacrifice was seen as a blessing. Mothers used to pray that their children would either die in combat or through sacrifice. It wasn't just some tool they used to scare their opponents. It was an honor. It all just depended on which god you were being sacrificed to. Right. So... I'm just going to take over here a bit on the human sacrifice origins part. It all dates back to their creation stories, and these are going to be condensed versions of them to cut back on time. Mm -hmm. So it starts with Quetzalcoatl and the bones of the ancestors. Sounds serious. Hell yeah, it is. So this ties into the story, the four sons and the destruction of the world. So I'll break that down first. See, there was said to have been... Four previous sons, or ages, which are controlled by a different god. Each of those sons was destroyed by a catastrophic event. Here, I'm I'm just going to start screwing up names. I'm sorry. Tezcatlipoca. Tezcatlipoca. Tezcatlipoca was in charge of the first son when giants ruled the earth. This son was destroyed by jaguars who ate the giants and destroyed the earth. Solid. The second son was run by... Quetzalcoatl. Humans lived on acorns in this age. The sun was destroyed by a hurricane, and the people were transformed into monkeys. The third sun was run by 
Tlaloc. Yeah, Tlaloc. Tlaloc. Yeah, something like that. And they ate aquatic seeds. Uh, it was destroyed by fiery rain, and uh, humans were turned into dogs, turkeys, and butterflies. The fourth son was presided over by Chalchit Likwe. We're going to say. Yeah, I'm probably extremely wrong, but I'm trying. Uh, Chalchit Likwe. It was a time of gatherers who ate seeds, and they were eventually turned into fish in a great flood. So each of these disasters brought about important animals to the Mexica survival. Yes, exactly. And we are currently in the fifth sun cycle, which is fated to, which is fated for the world to be destroyed by earthquakes, with its people being eaten by sky monsters. Intense. Can see it happening. Yeah. Do they just uh, predict climate change? Earthquakes? Probably. Sky monsters? Are they calling out California right now? Oof. All the earthquakes. Oof. Anyways, back to my main man, Quetzalcoatl. So, the creation of this fifth son fell to our man and another god called Tezcatlipoca. The someone from before. Yeah. Yeah. So, they put the land and the sky into place. Then, Quetzalcoatl was sent to the underworld to retrieve the bones of the fourth son people. The ruler of the underworld tried to block his quest. He eventually succeeded, though after being hurt in the underworld. So the bones back, finally got him. The goddess, whose name is translated into woman serpent, ground up the bones and placed the powder in a jade bowl. The gods gathered around this bowl and shed their blood upon the powder to create the people of the fifth sun, the Mashika. Ah, so the gods sacrificed their own blood for the creation of the Mashika, so the Mashika wanted to repay this blood debt. Yeah, but not only their blood... In the story involving the creation of the sun and moon, two gods literally sacrificed their whole life to create them. Yeah, they literally threw themselves into burning fire to create the sun and then the moon. Mm -hmm. So the sun was everything to the Mexica. This was a life debt for them. And human sacrifice was a way of paying back that debt. But it must have felt like almost unpayable because what is one human life in comparison to a god? Like how many human lives equal one god? Exactly. Which is why human sacrifice happened so often. They also thought the next sun cycle would start in 52 years if the debt wasn't continually paid. So when they saw the sun, they were like, ah, okay, we got another 52 years. Let's keep doing this. Like, in this context, I don't see human sacrifice as barbaric at all. I mean, no more barbaric than nailing people to crosses to starve and bleed to death. Am I right? Yeah, no, you're pretty spot on. Because at least this point, they're being killed for a reason well there was a reason behind it but that was more of like just a punishment in general but uh when they're literally being sacrificed when they're doing the human sacrifice it's more of a a quick thing compared to uh being put on the cross which is very torturous because it it, is literally you're there until you die stop breathing (laughs) it is torture till you die versus a quick death I in comparison call, i mean in comparison in comparison yeah. it's a quick death but just know that when they were sacrificing they'd cut you they cut you right near your stomach they'd reach inside they'd like break some of your bones to rip out your heart like it was not like it's brutal but, but it's, it's a different like, type of brutal but it's like quick and painful versus slow, slow and, and painful you're right you're right you're right yeah now this brings us to our last topic which is kind of an overview of the civilization and the social hierarchy I think it's important to talk about the lives of the people in every single part of history so that we humanize them and ensure we don't just see them as numbers, which we are 
we all fall victim to. Mm-hmm. And the Mexica have this misconception of being a brutal people, which is contrary to who they are. In they, fact, they're fierce in battle, but at home, they're regular-ass people. Yeah. The Mexica had two different social classes, nobles and commoners, with a huge separation between the two. It was really hard to move from one to the other. So modern-day lower class, upper class. No, literally. Hmm. Now, okay, nobles did a whole bunch. They ran local government, they owned land, they commanded the army, and they lived a far more luxurious lifestyle than the commoners did, of course. And just like in modern day, while the commoners' numbers far surpassed the nobles, they were still expected to bid and serve them, support them with food and other goods. So, yeah, the system was even broken back then. What was it like to grow up as a commoner in this time? Well, actually... The way the two classes grew up was pretty similar. So in both cases, when the child was born, the midwife was very important back then. She would help birth the child and then take it outside to bathe it and then have three boys call out its name. The name would be the name the midwife gave the child, not the father and mother. Mm. Now, of course, there were gender roles. A hundred percent there were. Boys were expected to become warriors or hold the professions of their fathers, while women were expected to have children and keep the household in order. Mm. Yet, gender identities to the Mexica, and according to this book, were not inherent or natural, but rather they were achieved by performing key ceremonies. Okay. Yet, they were encouraged to perform the tasks and ceremonies that were key to their gender or suffer the consequences. You make it sound like they abused them. Well, a passage in the Codex Mendoza says that they punish a 10-year-old boy for, quote, uh, by, quote, beating him with sticks and offering other threats. And an 11-year-old boy and girl were subject to, quote, inhaling Chile smoke, which was considered a serious and cruel torment. Shit. Yeah, the Mexica did not play around. But, all right, at age 15, they were able to go to school, both boys and girls. Age 15? (laughs) Yeah, that's pretty late in the game, honestly. Yeah. But, well, boys and girls going to school, that's that's more than Europe. Yeah. Like, that's more equality. That's, that's, That's better. Yeah, it's better than Europe. Uh, now, men obviously focus more on military training, and they actually lived at the schools. The girls went to schools, too, but they didn't live at them. Uh, they learned how to do girl things and dance, play musical instruments, and also singing for the rituals, which men also took part in. Only one school? Yeah, there was one school for the commoners, and then there was a more exclusive school called the Kalmakak. Kalmakak? Kalmeka? Kalmeka? But there's a C at the end. Could be silent. Kalmeka. Okay, we're going to go with Kalmeka. Um, this was a school for only nobles and promising commoners. This was like the Ivy League <laughs> of The Ivy schools. League school. These schools had training to be future leaders in government, priesthood, and in the military. Hmm. Religion and military were obviously the most important things to the Mexica. Now, marriage typically happened for men in their late teens and early 20s. Women were typically married off around 10 or 12 years old. Oof. This is this is full Martin Gare. Yeah. Very young. Yeah, no, it's it's extremely young, but this was also 500 years before Martin Gare. Yeah, and I guess this is a bit more understandable because this is like a this is a different time. Yeah. Where people didn't exactly live too too long of lives. No, and it was a different environment to live into. They had different um, animals and diseases, so. Yeah. It was different. I mean, and it, it was always typical for women to be younger than men in marriage, like even in Europe. 
but it is a strange concept for us now to grasp because we have the age of consent and laws against, you know, marrying and dating and fucking someone younger. Uh, but back then it was super normal. So uh, they found a match through a matchmaker mm-hmm. and a soothsayer would actually tell them the best day to get married. Probably the Ides of March. So the wedding ceremony <laughs> <laughs> So the wedding ceremony was in itself a two-parter. The first part began with a day of feasting at the bride's house. At sunset the bride was bathed and clothed in special outfits. Then she received a lecture on the groom's family. And then after that the bride was carried by the groom's relatives to his house, which takes us to the second part of the ceremony, the groom's house. Mm. Here the couple literally tied the knot, meaning the bride and groom would sit next to a burning hearth and literally tie their clothes together. They were then considered adults, and they went about their specific gender roles to fit their specific level in that hierarchy, which I will go into another day because this will get really long. So I feel like that's a good place to stop. You get to the point where you get to go into the real world. Yeah, and I know Megan can continue to talk about the Mashika forever because, honestly, I know that she can. I've heard her do it. So (laughs) we decided to just break it down with the ancient civilization over the course of a couple of episodes. I know, love them so much. Like, they're just so freaking cool. Nerd. Yeah. But that's all I'm going to touch on today. Uh, next time I'll actually get in, into more breaking down of what each level of the social hierarchy means. Um, I'm going to talk in depth about some ritual rituals and the religion. And I'll also talk about how the government worked. Because... <laughs> <laughs> it's important to have this background information that when we talk about the rise and fall of the Mexica with Hernan Cortez, we fully understand exactly who they were, not they were just a barbaric civilization. So that's just, you know, the rest for now is just history. Well, yeah, that was that was a good time. But if you want to request any future episode topics, uh, just DM us on Twitter, at FastPast1, or just email us at fastpasspodcast at gmail.com. Thank you so much for starting off the new year with us. Until next time, bye bye